Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Fabrication Friday podcast. I'm your host, Joe Fairley, certified prosthetist, 3D printing enthusiast, and owner of Ascent Fabrication. Fabrication Friday is an all-around fun time where I talk about 3D printing applications, conduct interviews with industry leaders, and much more. Come join us every Friday for an informational discussion around the evolution of the additive manufacturing field and how we utilize various digital workflows and 3D printing methods in our daily work at Ascent Fabrication. Hello, everyone. This is the Fabrication Friday podcast. Thank you for joining in today. Um, I'm your host, Joe Fairley, certified prosthetist and owner of Ascent Fabrication. Uh, we've been uh, kind of going over the last few months looking into a little bit more uh, into the foot orthotics side of things for 3D printing, using a couple different materials, uh, just to name drop a few, Color Fab, VarioShore, um, for a more uh, foam and cushiony style, um, accommodative uh, foot orthosis. And then there's the more corrective polypropylene uh, for PP print for um, those type of foot orthoses. Very excited today to have a podiatrist and CEO of the uh, the printed foot, Brian Kettner on today. So Brian, thanks for coming on. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, it's great to be here, Joe. I've been in 3D printed foot space for the past, oh, I guess since 2017 now is when I first started into uh, delving into the 3D printing in relation to you know, making foot orthotics. I felt then it was definitely a step above the CAD CAM milling, uh, makes much cleaner device and you have a lot more control for the doctors. So we can really put something in an office or have something that's fully customizable, printed off site and then brought it back into the office. I think it's the future definitely speeds up the timeline significantly. Sure, so when you, um, so are you currently practicing as a podiatrist now as well? No, I've retired from podiatry in 2018. So I started off doing a little just consultant work with a commercial company that was popping up to do um, like, a, you know, non-prescription custom foot insoles using 3D printing. Um, and then that evolved to me starting my own company where I want to specifically focus on 3D printed orthotics versus custom insoles. Okay. Okay. And did you have any 3D printing um, as a podiatrist back in your own clinic or uh, was it all just kind of sent out, you know, CAD milled? So when I first got in, they, there was no real big 3D print labs that were going. So I started doing it in my office probably 2014 or 15. I got my first, uh, yeah, you know, 3D printer was one of the God, I can't remember the brand of Wanho, you know, a Chinese knockoff of something. And I was using that to design and print. And the prints weren't necessarily revolutionary at that point. It took, you know, a full night to make one insole. So it'd take me two days to print two, you know, a full pair. Um, so it didn't make much of an impact in the clinic at that point. I think my print times were I was running around like 20 to 30 millimeters per second for speeds, which is pretty slow. But, uh, you know, it definitely allowed me to see that this would be the future, though, and you can move it into the office. So I was playing with that and just trying to write my own software originally. And mm -hmm. then I started consulting with another company, and that's when I joined them and went full time in 2018. Gotcha. Okay. So was that your first introduction to 3D printing in general was, uh, you know, learning about 3D printed insoles as they were coming on the, the scene or was something else kind of stirring that up? No, I mean, a mixture between, you know, I, my son was a big hobby with him. We were doing a game called Warhammer and not that I'm saying I 3D print any, you know, copyrighted materials because that's illegal. I definitely helped him make scenery and other things like that for his gaming days. And uh, gotcha. that's, you know, was initially the first reason we got the 3D printer. And then after a couple of years of playing around with that in the CAD software, I started working on 3D printed orthotics. Okay. What type of materials uh, were you originally using for the orthotics at that point? I mean, at that point, the material was pretty bad. I didn't have any printable polypropylene, which had been a game changer. It wasn't until 2017 that I started working with TPU. 
Um, so we we're working, you know, I guess the ABS was the most realistic material I had at that point. Cause I think my choices were really, you know, like PET, ABS and PLA and PLA definitely was not good as a right. couple of the original 3d printed orthotic companies that were using that found out it just shatters and makes a horrible insole. But, yeah. uh, yeah. So materials have definitely come a long way and it made it much more, you know, especially once we got the TPU and the ability to do the foaming and the ability to control your infill, make the different patterns to get right. different durometers. That's personally my, still my favorite. I, you know, people say, Oh, that's not a, uh, you know, they, they say it's accommodative versus a functional orthotic versus the polypropylene. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I don't care. I've done studies within shoe sensors. You can change the way someone walks with a TPU orthotic Right. It can fit inside any shoe. You just have to, uh, you know, if you have a good software, you can tailor the device to fit basically any last shape that you need. So Right. So, and I have um, a little bit more limited, uh, you know, use cases and just clinical experience with foot orthotics, um, being a younger clinician and especially more focused on prosthetics rather than orthotics. Mm -hmm. Um so can you just for our, some of our listeners, can you describe those differences between an accommodative foot orthosis versus a functional foot orthosis? Yeah, I mean, the accommodative generally people are thinking of your diabetic one that's used just to offload certain areas. It doesn't actually change the way the foot functions versus a, you know, polypropylene shell because it's rigid. It really can steer the foot into, you know, a controlled motion a little bit better. But if you take a device just because it's thicker, like the TPU, it doesn't necessarily change the ability to, you know, if you still put a heel skive on that, you make, you know, high walls on the side to control the motion of the rear foot. You can contain the foot and control the motion. So it becomes, an, you know, it's accommodative on the plantar surface because you can contain, you know, certain geographic regions and make areas offloaded and things of that nature. But at the same point, I can make something very stiff and rigid and control the motion of the foot. So really accommodative is more just like a cushioning type device that just offloads pressure uh, versus a functional orthotic, which is going to change the way the foot strike hits the ground, the way you propulse afterwards, you know, right. it'll change your gait pattern. Right. So with those differences, um, so would you see that like all accommodative foot orthotics are specifically for diabetic patients or, you know, other, other cases where you want to, no, I mean, any type of, yeah, I mean, the accommodative ones you, people use for rheumatoid, um, anything where you're taking, trying to decrease pressure areas. But, you know, I think the terminology is really not correct. When they look at the device, they just look at it because it looks like an old device that they used to use. Um, they don't understand that now with the changing of, uh, insoles through the infill pattern and things like that, we can really control function of a device in multiple areas. I can have different function laterally and medially in a device by changing in infill properties. Uh, so yeah, I think the terminology is a little bit outdated. It's when you used to have one material for basically the entire orthotics. So if you're working with like a foam block, your entire orthotic would be whatever durometer that foam was. So right. you might be able to offload it by having multiple layers. So you have a top layer that's softer than, you know, like your diabetic insole. You use the plastazo PPT with a more rigid EVA type shell on the bottom. Right. But now we can control, you know, instead of the entire thing by layers, we can control each individual part um, by function of that area. So my first med area, I could have function uh, flexible or stiff, and I can change that for the lateral part of the foot. I can change that at the heel. So I think the, you know, limitations that people have in their mind about what a device is based on how it looks is no longer valid. Right. And so that kind of maybe translates over to the insurance side of things too, right? Of how these things are built. Yeah. Well, I mean, insurance is a whole other, now when you start getting into, unfortunately, Medicare does not deem 3D printing or 3D scanning still at this time as a uh, reasonable thing they still you know if you have a device that you 3d print you can't bill medicare for a diabetic insole um hmm. so there's still some legalities that have to be changed there however if you take a preformed, you know a little five dollar orthotic that has plastazote and ppt on it and you run a air dryer 
you can now claim that is a heat molded device and you know it's definitely yeah. legalities there need to change um but your private insurers have no problem paying for a 3d printed orthotic right right yeah i know there's there's definitely some hoops that uh, would need to be jumped through in order to you know either get new l codes into the system or or what exactly what codes were you using as yeah like, it was yeah they're definitely the l codes i mean that's right. What we're using is just when you look at, a, you know, for the diabetic, uh, especially, they just have a little segment where 3D modeling is just not allowed. So it's just, really? it's, yeah, it was just okay. specific terminology. I didn't actually have that listed on me right now, so I don't have the exact yeah. wording of it. But, yeah, uh, yeah it, it was specifically for 3, 3D modeling. So somebody okay. somewhere had a good PPAC that put wording in that, made future industries uh harder to get into interesting yeah i know there is one l code that does specifically mention um you know a cad approach to orthotics um that i thought you know did did allow something like that but again i, I don't have the wording in front of me uh, but i i know there's definitely going to be some changes you know down the line here hopefully uh, from a Medicare standpoint and some coding changes for, you know, for these uses of digital workflows and coming to these newer devices that can be, you know, designed in different ways that we just couldn't otherwise do traditionally. Yeah, yeah it's definitely, yeah, I mean, the wording definitely needs to be changed or just a new code entirely. But I think that's in the process of currently. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, again, I stopped practicing in 2018. So, some of my knowledge is little little fall behind. I don't really keep up as close with billing anymore because I don't need to have that headache. Sure. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I don't blame you. I don't want that headache either. Uh, you know, it's it's been uh, it's been kind of nice the last couple of years not having to bill insurance companies and uh, running a cent file, but um, you know they're they're a headache to deal with and a lot of hoops to jump through, but. Yeah. Um, in terms of like these, you know, newer designs that we can come up with for foot orthotics, mm -hmm. um, let's jump into a bit of, uh, you know, how the printed foot came to be. Yeah. So I was working with another company and it was pretty much only commercial and through some mismanagement, some other issues, that company kind of ceased to exist um, and anything I wanted to be associated with. So I stepped away and looking at what I was gonna do I started working with a Singapore company I had been uh, doing some work with I did some uh, studies and some overseas work with uh, NTU and SUTD in Singapore those are two of the universities there and I had some connections in Singapore so I started working with a company that wanted to get into the 3d foot orthotic space and so initially my delve into the software side other than my previous company was trying to you know get this company moving forward into a 3d foot space um they just ran into some issues on their own and decided to pull the plug on moving forward with 3d printing and at that point i'd already you know secured what software would be good started you know working relationships with a couple different manufacturers of printers so uh it would have been pretty much about a year ago i decided just to go ahead and start the printed foot as its own standalone and bring the 3D print into hopefully, you know, individual podiatry, podorthists, uh, local clinicians so that the docs can be really responsible for what they do in house, be able to make a design, get it finished in like under two minutes, about the same time as you fill out a prescription form and then have that either printed in house or if you're not technologically savvy, send it off to like a fabrication site like yourself. I mean, I think the way we were doing orthotics before just was too long. You relied too much on an outside, you know, manufacturer. So depending upon, you know, if you write a prescription, send them a cast, how that cast got filled, made, turned into what you wrote on your piece of paper and sent back to you, you really had no control over. And every step, you know, there could be a little bit of error and, you know, differences between clinician or not clinician but a technician a and technician b so right. even if you use the same lab if a different guy made it you might have a different slightly you know interpreted device so i wanted something that was a little bit more uh controlled by me and a little bit more 
reproducible. So like when I spend the time and go through and CAD something myself, if I want that device exactly the same, I can get it at 99.99% certainty that if I print it today, it'll be the same device I print tomorrow. Right. There's really no variation. Or if I want to change something like a one millimeter, you know, people are like, oh, can I sky this? Can I take this to my grinder? I'm like, yeah, you can do that for your initial. But if you notice you took off like a millimeter from lateral side or you did something like that, go back, modify your CAD just a little bit, and then you won't have to try to reproduce that every time because, you know, if you're playing with a grinder, it's not always going to be an exact, you know, angle that you're going to be getting off of it. So I know there's an art form to uh, making orthotics, but I wanted to try to take as much of that and make it controllable. And that's where CAD design really shines. Sure. I, I think there's still a lot of art uh, form that oh, yeah. even with the cat you know, that stuff too right but yeah. but it is kind of getting over that initial barrier of showing people hey you can you know have this be a repeatable process that could be you know something that is done every single time and then you can have more predictable outcomes for those patients you know you can you can set up your prescription based off of you know what that patient presents and have that exact orthosis that you know has worked time and time again um, and then, you know, reducing some turnaround times and some, you know, labor costs and overhead for, you know, just being able to do the digital workflow, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, my biggest, like, I guess the thing that originally got me into 3D printing, I had been using a lab and I sent off a pair of casts. And the one foot really had some significant deformities. The other foot was a completely normal foot. I think the guy had been run over by a car at one point. So it was really night and day between the two sides. And I was trying to make an accommodative for the left and, you know, but I didn't really, I guess I didn't specify significantly that foot was cast as is. I want that made back. When I got the orthotic shells back, there were two shells that were perfect. They looked great. However, they were just, one was a mirrored off of obviously the healthy foot. And, you know, there there's no way this was going to work. And at that point, I realized that, my control was really just in my head. I had no control of what the lab did, uh, you know. So at that, that's really where I stepped out and said, okay, I need to have full control over my scans or my casting and then what the end device is gonna be. So what kind of features in the printed foot are there? What, uh, you know, within the software, you know, take me through kind of a standard, you know, modification, what kind of tools are there? How would you modify something? Yeah, so if you want me to go ahead and share my screen, you can, so can just yeah. go through. One of the nice things I like is if you have something, you know, it's, oh, you have to uh, enable me for the screen share. Of course I do. There's, uh, all right, well, while I, while I find that, go ahead on. Yeah, with anyway, so I like the ability, like, I have the ability to make any shape orthotic I want, depending upon whatever their shoe size is, so I can take a picture of their shoe. And if I have a ruler next to that picture, I can make sure it's scaled exactly so the orthotic I design will fit into their shoe. So that's battle number one that I don't have to worry about any longer. I can overlay things like pressure scans and other data and bring that in to incorporate into the design. But mm -hmm. I can control every part of the orthotic from changing the lattice of a certain area to making you know a pad or a cutout where I want to put it and I can move it and have that, you know, full control over everything. So you know, to me, that was the biggest draw with the, uh, you know, software, what I want to be able to do. And then if like you're saying, if you have, you know, say for like Calyx Luminous, you have a set prescription that you always use, you use these five modifications, I can go ahead and make that as a template. So as soon as I know someone coming in and this is their problem, I can check, okay, I want this orthotic, say the Halix Luminous or the heel pain orthotic. And I can, you know, design it once, but then every patient after that can get the same exact modification with just one little click, add all the features that I normally use and just, you know, save me time on the design and make sure it's exactly what I want to do. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, so I've, I've used the software before, very, you know, seemingly user-friendly with some, a couple toolbars on both sides. Um, I did uh, allow you to share your screen, so you should be able to bring that up okay. now. But yeah, bringing in a, a scan, you know, putting in your general patient information right off the bat, and then kind of choosing a couple corrective measures for how you want that foot orthosis to look like. 
um, with say, you know, a, a met pad and you can actually change the shape and the, the size of that met pad. Um, so that's pretty nice. Uh, so right now for our listeners who, who aren't seeing the screen, you know, Brian is, is bringing up, uh, the printed foot, um, uh, software, and we're going to kind of go through a little bit of, a an initial preview of what's going on here. Yeah. So as long as you get your, uh, object into a 3d format that, you know, is understandable by the system and it goes through right there with type of supported files you can do. I generally use STL. Any of your 3d scanners, even your iPhone can make a good STL. So this one I'm bringing in actually is going to be a, uh, scan from a iPhone. And so that's going to bring in, you can look at your model right there. So make sure that's what you want because the name already had left foot in it. The software went ahead and marked left. So you can use patient identifier space left. So you know what the uh, software has. And then we come down here, you can have different. So your insole template is basically going to be what the shell is. So you can have a regular three quarter you know, shell for your polypropylene. You can have a full length shell or, you know, here's one that's a test limitus. So this would be for a Halix limitus. So this will automatically add all my corrections that I normally do for a limitus to test out. And for my, in practice, what I did was I did a dancer's pad or reverse Morton's with a first met cutout to give the Halix room to plantar flex that allowed it to get the motion, sent the weight a little bit laterally and then I throw in a uh, little bit of inversion. And I think that's all I have on this one. And then I also threw a nice feature, you know, have, being able to create those templates even um, mm -hmm. again, for different, you know, pathologies. Yeah, you can make them for different pathologies. You can do them on the fly where you can go through like a prescription and just click the different parts that you want. So the only thing I've clicked on here is to solidify because I'm going to make this as a full length TPU style orthotic. And then when you go ahead and bring your orthotic in, first thing that's going to happen is you get your 3D scan. So again, this is from an iPhone. Um, so the quality of an iPhone scan using the True's depth camera is very good resolution. I mean, this is probably better than what you'd get with a cast. You have a lot more fidelity. I mean, you can see the ridges of the skin, everything inside that. So in order for the you know, software to know what's what, you're gonna have to do identification of some markers. So what we do is use a couple points. We use your first metatarsal and the joy of uh, being on Zoom and, okay, here we go. First metatarsal, fifth metatarsal, center of heel, and then the arch just lets the make sure you're on the left or right foot. So now that you have that in there, I can go ahead at this point and do some intrinsic correction where I put a ground plane on here. And then I can go ahead and say I wanted to invert the forefoot or rear foot. Let me move you. I can go ahead and invert or evert the forefoot. The heel stays the same. It might be actually easier to see from the back. But so you have the ability to play with the model and I can do this along a subtalar neutral line or I can do it directly split the foot in half. So you can control forefoot position or rear foot position. So if your cast scan wasn't exactly what you wanted, you could go ahead and say, oh, you know what? Let me go ahead and straighten that heel a little bit. And you can do that within the software. So that's a nice little feature. Allows you to do some cast correction. Then the next thing you do is you just bring in your insole you have to make sure that the foot is going to fit inside the insole. So we're just going to go ahead, make sure the back heel is within the insole, look at it from the back to make sure we're within the body of the insole, then look at it from the top to make sure you like the placement of the insole. So once you get your insole placed, now we do the vacuum forming, and this is what's going to go ahead and match the cast to the foot. And then that other thing where I added the bottom now populated, and so that went ahead and made this a solid form. I already have inside the template is it takes the name of the file. So and this one, I just called it left foot. So it just types left. But if I had my patient identifier space left, it would say that patient identifier at that spot.
you can have it pre-populated with your lab logo or you know any information that you want on there but this is basically finished we have looking at from the top we have a dancer's pad placed in a little bit of a cutout for the first met head metatarsal pad and then it was in, uh, inverted two degrees so this is ready to go ahead and send to the lab or to be printed out in your office so yeah, I mean, that's as fast and as simple literally as two minutes basically get that's yeah two minutes with me going through and explaining every possible step <laughs> right yeah so you so can control those templates in there yeah that's all from just installing a template if you have something and you want to specifically create a new pad you have the choice where you can bring in now at this point we wanted to say load something else like a maybe a rear foot heel relief i can make it pad here and then place where i want it to be i can put the foot texture on here so i can make sure no not foot pencil texture so i can make sure where the heel is so if i had like a spot i wanted to make sure it was offloaded center of the heel right there and then i hit okay so now take that away so we can see but there's a slight depression in here and i can control the depth of that or the size or shape of that so i can add you know things on the fly or i can remove things that i've added and so we can go ahead and take that little heel depression out and you have the ability to control basically any segment that you want we can make multi-durometer throughout areas make certain areas you know different info patterns a lot of that's done either in the slicer or we have the ability to do that in the software as well Right, so doing it in the software um, for different durometers, we're basically just building up a certain thickness in that area, right? No, nah, so the easiest way to do it, there's two ways. Um, so we can break the model into different bodies. So you can select each body with different settings when you're doing your slicer. Or we also have a feature where we can go ahead into the solidify. And then we can go ahead and add and say a lattice and this lattice we'd have the ability to control any region so we're going to do a dynamic gyroid infill and okay. suppose we wanted to make sure that you know like say the met pad just for something easy to see we want to make this soft and spongier than the rest of the orthotic so i can just go ahead and clicking around make my device i can change the shape of it afterwards but we have that inside here i have the ability to control the cell size which basically is how large the pieces are and i can even dynamically change it within this to make one part thicker than the other part uh, hold on one second i forgot to hit uh generate lattice so you have to generate it first and my computer doesn't like doing too many things at once so doing sure. a zoom a video call bandwidth, bandwidth issues and trying to do that at one time yeah okay. so this actually so, then changes that that actual structure yes yeah, so yeah. yeah it changes that actual structure and now we have that area so that'll print out a basically everything's offset in the z pattern so it becomes more of a spring and spongy area. And by laying down more or less material in that, we can change how hard that is or change the size of the cell. We can change how squishy it is. So yeah, yeah the ability to make everything. Right now, we don't have a set durometer because depending upon your print head, what size nozzle, what material right. you're doing, that's going to also control how flexible that material is. Um, working with a mosaic, there might main printer partner is yeah. we're working out a series of if you use this info pattern at this setting and this thickness it'll equal approximately this durometer so we're getting a little bit more specific in controlling that so i can you know reasonably say if you set it this way it'll print at this level you know softness but without having the known uh, material or printer it's hard to specify exactly so you have to do a little playing on your own if you're using your own printer sure yeah i mean it, there's so many different variables and options for fdm 3d printing right you know you could you could certainly use a 0 0.4 one millimeter nozzle um to print these out uh, then you're going to get some differing 
um, you know, surface quality, um, you know, issues that might come up depending on going larger in nozzle size, but you might have a faster print. Um, you know, we've seen that testing out a couple prints already, you know, and trying mm -hmm. to get the, the fastest print possible, but then maybe, you know, looking at some of these finer details and getting the right functions that we would want out of the design is definitely something to keep in mind too. Um, I wanted to ask too, you know, so for a design like this, I actually don't even think about FDM 3D printing immediately. This, I would, I would try to get MJF printed out of TPU. Have you had anyone do that? Have you seen anyone? Yeah, I mean, generally for at, at the office level, no. I mean, most of the docs, if they're going to install a 3D printer, a multi-jet fusion, one is going to be too pricey. Sure. And two, it's got a whole slew of uh, post-production cleaning and things like that. You have to have a clean room. Um, well, not necessarily a clean room, but you have to have the proper ventilation. You're not just going to set that up in a clinician's office. So right. I generally try to focus only on the FDM printing because that's something, you know, for a good, you know, printer is an affordable thing a doctor can bring into his office and have it printing without having to worry about, um, you know, post-production cleaning the design, paying for the maintenance and all the costs that go on top of that. So I, I try to gear everything that I do specifically more towards the FDM printing. But yeah, if you're going to use for your best results possible using a service like yours that has the opportunity and the ability to put in a lot of different materials and equipment that, you know, the clinician's not going to have, it creates a billion times, you know, well, not a billion times, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a nicer looking device, a little bit more control on certain features. Sure. Yeah, I know. I know from talking with a few customers that um, they are extremely keen on trying to put a top cover on on these, uh, you know, foot orthotics. And again, from my inexperience as a as a clinician in this specific space, um, mm -hmm. you know, should we be using top covers for these? Are yeah, they, I mean, right now. So one or... thing that's yeah, one thing that's nice about working with like something that has multi material printers is we're working on developing a way to print the top cover in a material that would be like a foamy TPU and allow you to really get that EVA type of compression on that top layer. Um, right now, we can print a orthotic, you know, with top layers on there, but I'm not 100% sold that that's really the best surface for your foot contact yet. We're still working on, I mean, cytotoxicity-wise, We've gotten the polypropylene that you're using from Germany. That's approved. The, uh, you know, different types of foaming TPU. Uh, we have reports now that that's good for skin contact. So we're, we're getting closer. I just don't think we're 100% there yet. But within the next couple of years or within the next year, hopefully, we should have some options with a multi-material printer to have a different. And the other problem, too, is the slicing layers. If we can do a non-linear slice instead of cutting it layer by layer, you have the entire surface where the curve can go up and down and sure. follow the orthotic. That will make it a little bit nicer finish and top cover presentable. So 3D printing the top cover is definitely something that's going to be coming soon. Uh, right now, what I recommend generally is if you work with a couple of the good material labs, you can even get some that are pre have a nice uh, commercial adhesive that you just have to peel and stick to your orthotic and then trim so you don't have to play with barge and all that you know materials yeah. if you don't want to yeah definitely don't like i personally don't want to have to be um you know messing around with too many chemicals and post-processing you know we'd much rather be solely focused on 3d printing and trying to figure out those methods to provide something that would be more suitable in the minds of some of these people who look at a foot orthotic that we print from Vario Shore and, um, you know, it not be what they're expecting. Mm -hmm. They see this kind of uh, tiered, you know, look to it because of that layer by layer. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's where, yeah, I'm working with one group that we're working on a slicer that's a nonlinear slicer. Yeah. And hopefully we can translate that into uh, yeah, having smooth top layers. And then that would really give us the ability to have the entire top layer printed as a different material. Because especially with like the Vario Shore, 
if we change temperature, we can make that foam a lot more. So, but the problem is if you're doing it layer by layer, you can't have it foam by, temp, you know, you can't do the top layer because you have certain parts that you still want it to be stiff because it's still in the inner part of the arch, right. right at the lateral part of the foot. That's the bottom of the orthotic or the surface for the foot. So you're right. not going to want that to be foamy there and foamy in the arch because now you've lost your arch support. Um, sure. So, you know, having a nonlinear slicer is probably going to be the step that will allow us to really control top materials. But, you know, there, there's a couple different other options that we have with doing that and we're playing around with. But, I, you know, I, I'm working on that. We're, we're just, uh, yeah, that's a separate project that's not with yeah. currently in my software. Yeah, on-planar 3D printing is pretty pretty interesting. You know, there's uh, there are a few lower-end, you know, FDM 3D printers that are capable of it. Mm -hmm. a, you know, I don't want to say it's a simple G-code fix, but... It's a it's a G code fix that um, would allow those different tool paths, um, you know, in just a different format than what we're used to seeing with this kind of linear approach, layer by layer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you have to make some modifications in nozzle length and things like that, so you can have, you yeah. know, because if you have a real steep wall, you you know, you don't want your main part of your head of the printer smacking the walls. So there there are some right. limitations in you know how much we can control that. But if you start, have you seen like the new four axis or five axis 3D printers? Yeah. You know, eventually we'll be able to, yeah, <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll allow us to print any angle, any shape whatsoever. Right. Yeah. I know the, uh, the robotic arms, you know, the, um, those multi degrees of freedom are, are capable of printing, you know, a separate object onto another object. I just saw mm -hmm. another LinkedIn post about that yesterday. Um, you know, where they had this kind of cone shaped, almost rocket looking thing that was already printed in white. And then the probably KUKA arm was, uh, you know, printing in kind of a, a wavy orange shape. So you could see those differences of it actually printing on that object itself. Yeah. yeah. So not planar printing is here. It's just su either super expensive on the robotic arm side of things or you know it's it's not quite there yet on the yeah. fdm side of things because of some limitations um what do you think of uh what do you think of belt printing i mean belt printing for you know you run into some limitations on geometry with the belt but uh the belt printing really for mass producing there's a couple ways so if you want to have like a really efficient machine where it's being utilized 100 percent, because right now if you take your standard printer and you print something until I come up, clear that plate off, reestablish, get the machine set ready for a new print, it's not going to function. So you could have the printer, the fastest printer, but you need somebody in there swapping that print around all the time. Right. So there's two, uh, I mean, three companies that I've seen make something that works to counteract and allow your printer to run full time. So number one is that you mentioned the belt printer. So basically your Z axis is constantly moving. So you're, uh, you know, you're not your Z axis. I guess that would be the X axis or however you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, I think they call it axis, you can go infinite Z axis. Yeah. yeah, they call it in, but it's not really because the Z always thinks that right. it goes up and down. So, sure. but you know, you can have one axis that goes on forever. And so you can just have print after print after print. And then if you have a little collection box at the bottom, as long as your devices come off and have modifiers or markers on them, hence the, you know, printing the name onto every orthotic that comes off, you can find where they are as they all get collected at the end of the day in the box. So that's one that's nice because you can just have that running overnight and being productive. So your printer is really, you know, 24 hours capable. Right. Um, next one I've seen, there's a Chinese printer that has a little paddle that pushes your orthotic off mm -hmm. um i i see that being problematic in a couple different reasons especially with different materials um you know not taking so nice to being hit when it's still warm or you know grabbing the bed and ripping part of the bed as it comes off but you know yeah. that's another option is a little scraper that basically scrapes the orthotic after every print and then the mosaic model where they pull the entire bed off and have it stored with a robotic arm in a little separate storage tray system. 
So that can be running and then you have each tray would be one complete print. And it, you know, as long as there's more trays and material inside the printer, um, it, you know, that can also be running 24 seven for a couple of days without being run. So really I think the, you know, the, either the mosaic fully automated system or a belt printer, the belt printer being a much more affordable option. Sure. Yeah. The, uh, the mosaic array is quite the machine. It, um, almost looks like a, a vending machine actually where yeah, I mean, you know, really it's you've got the arm that goes up and down and, and moves across the how many there's four different printers there's four printers in your array and yeah. then there's up to like 16 you know materials so you can have multi-material in each one but also you can have redundancy so that way as soon as your tpu runs out it just automatically switches without losing a beat to the next you know one so it's like having, you know, your material just constantly running. Right. So. Yeah, the uh, yeah, the, definitely an interesting approach. And when you talk about trying to go a little bit more automated with especially something like this, uh, this use case definitely makes sense to try to optimize that amount of time. Um, I was thinking back to the, uh, the belt printing and if we're going to be trying to print, actually print on a top surface layer, um, you know, I don't think that would quite work in that case then, right? Because now the belt be printer you're not gonna, and then going out to the end. So you'd right, you're not going to bring around. it back. Yeah. The belt printer will be problematic for doing that. So I don't see the belt printer, um, be, you know, that being a, there's only a specific, you know, few printers right now, the array system has the capability to do it because you'd have the different materials loaded up and you keep the bed there so you could print the device, go back, put a top layer on and then have the device taken off. Um, you know, it's definitely gonna increase your print time exponentially though. Uh, right. But, you know, if you're having it running 24 seven with multiple printers going, yeah. the print time, as long as it's reliable and doesn't fail, is less of an issue. You know, speed yeah. is only as good as the limiting factor in a standard like a Voron type printer or something like that. The limiting factor really is gonna be the person changing the plate. So if you're trying to run like 20 different printers, and maintain them and change plates, you know, yeah. you're, you're going to get bogged down pretty quickly. Uh, right. I, think, I forget what the, you know, what they say, the average person can actually really run with just, you know, legitimately, you know, there's a, there's a end limit as how many printers you can control. Sure. So that, you know, going back to that one company I had worked with in the past for the commercial, we had print bays that were six printers. So it was three tiers, of a left and right machine on each row. And, you know, those were prototyped and built by us kind of, you know, wasn't necessarily, we're, you know, we started off with 3D printed parts inside a lot of the printers, but, you know, failure wise, we're probably looking at 30, 40% failure on those things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, people would come in and be watching and then something would go wrong or one of the printers would get clogged and you'd have to be, so one person running six of those, that was basically a full-time job. We needed someone there on yeah. site constantly. Right. Was so, that was that in Singapore, you said? or? Uh, well, that, that company was actually, there was launched in the U.S. through uh, Costco's. So they basically they would have a unit that would show up at a Costco, open oh, up, yeah. and run for two weeks. Yeah, yep. yeah. I actually saw one of those um, a few years back in i think it was a costco yep yep another yeah but that was the same yeah that was a company i worked with when i was in singapore we set up huh. a couple of commercial labs and then i also did a hospital in bangkok where i set up a hospital lab for the that system okay so I, was... i'm super interested in the the international applications for this as well you know what have you seen on on that side of things uh yeah singapore? i mean the great thing is like you know right now when i was in singapore a lot of their stuff they're sending to Germany to have made and manufactured and sent back. So the time frame, you know, was significant. Or if you look at a third world country, um, you know, they don't have necessarily the resources, ability to have everything. So 3D printing is going to change a lot of the ability to get functional devices, you know, affordably produced locally. So mm -hmm. I definitely see, you know, the future definitely significantly helping a lot of countries. Uh, there's a lot of uh, contacts I have in Africa that have been definitely pushing, you know, in the clinics there, they don't have access to everything, but if they can get a 3D printer, it opens up a world of prosthetics that they had no ability to do previous. 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just having that, you know, be able to train people on site and have that continue to, um, you know, just reduce the turnaround times for people is, is huge. Um, we always found that if we're working in that kind of area, you know, a third world country or just working this much internationally, I mean, shipping logistics are probably the biggest pain on that side of things then too. You yeah, know, that's, yeah. That's the other side of things that you have to worry about. Yeah. Especially when you look at a couple of years ago, all of a sudden your container shipment that would have been $2,000 now jumped to $20,000 at the beginning of COVID. So yeah, I mean, materials, uh, that's, that is one of the issues with a lot of the 3D printing, you know, a lot of the materials are made overseas somewhere. So finding local distributors or local manufacturers per region is definitely helpful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, yeah, I mean, thank you for the uh, the overall, you know, look into the printed foot, that little uh, demo. That was great for any of our listeners that, you know, are just listening and didn't see that, uh, you know, check YouTube later and uh, check out the actual software demo that Brian gave. Um, you know, thanks again for, you know, running through all yeah. the features of, of the printed foot. Um, where can people contact you if they want to get a demo or, or try this? Yeah, out? just either the printedfoot.com. Or, you know, they can reach out through you and, you know, anybody, you can go ahead and see Joe as well and uh, discuss software, have them forwarded to me or, you know, work directly with Joe. But I think a lot of docs, when they look at our offices, basically really get scared of the new steps to the technology. I really do see it as a game changer for the way robotics are done. You just need to spend a little time either A, to learn the software or to learn how to order the soft, you know, order what you want and rely something on like Joe, you can do the design in house and then forward the SDL to your fabrication site and have turnaround still under a week. So not quite as fast as printing it in your own office, but you know, definitely takes a couple of the headaches, a couple of step, you know, focus on learning the technology of the CAD CAM design. And then you can, you know, work at looking at printers, but you know, doing both at the same time, I think scares a lot of doxy, you know, they come in, they look at the technology, like, oh, this is great. And then they look at the slice and then all the different modifiers and the way you can change the way a print comes out and they just get overwhelmed and, you know, kind of disassociate and walk away. So I think probably the easiest way to do it is learn how to use this scanner. And then from that SDL, you can either forward it to myself or Joe and we can do the design for you. Or we can go ahead and, you know, set you up with the software so you spend two minutes, like I just did, doing a design, and then send the STL off to be, you know, printed. And that's right. probably the easiest way to jump on board with the lowest overhead initial cost. And your price per part is going to be significantly cheaper than anything you're currently using. So sure. it's definitely, uh, you know, business side, it's definitely worth it for an office to look at. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, anyone that's listening that wants to try something out with us, um, you know, we'll go through and, you know, find a use case either with one of your patients or you try it out on yourself, your own foot orthotics that you might wear in your shoes um, to actually try these, um, either the VarioShore foaming TPU, um, more accommodative style or the polypropylene more functional style. You know, we'll go through that design um, and printing process for you just so you can get a sense of, you know, what these feel like, how they react. Um, I'll have to say that for the most part, they're very similar to kind of to what you're used to already. The polypropylene is, is polypropylene and that's really no different, honestly. Um, you know, it's just uh, a feature of maybe building in some other modifications into that, that, you know, you don't otherwise have to do by hand. So it's- Yeah, a- definitely. I mean, like one of the biggest things I saw you know, I had somebody wanted, you know, I did the design, taught them how to use it, and they were just wanting the shells. I'm like, well, are you going to put any posts in? They go, oh, we do that with crepe afterwards. I'm like, hey, look, you can just have that 3D printed. You don't have to worry about, right. you know, doing any finishing afterwards. You can put on your rear foot posts. You can put on whatever correction onto your shell directly. Mm-hmm. You know, I can make an area with holes in it to make it a little bit more flexible or aerated. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's a billion things that you can do and. You know, talking to somebody like uh, Joe or myself will definitely help you along. And again, when you start looking at polypropylene, you know, a lot of the docs I see that start doing 3D printing also, and they start looking at Amazon and they just order any material that says polypropylene and no, they're not all the same. 
every single manufacturer has different, uh, you know, in, you know, I guess different materials or things that they build their uh, formula from. And really, if you want a reliable device that prints well, flexible, has good rigidity, not going to snap, the polypropylene that you do is the best I've played with. I mean, I've played with a lot of different manufacturer ones and, um, you know, there's definitely a, there's, there's significant differences. So make sure you use good quality materials. That's, you know, my takeaway for in-house printing. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've done quite a bit of, uh, you know, test printing with different materials. Uh, we do love PP prints polypropylene because, um, because of that quality in printing. And then as, as far as the actual, you know, mechanical durability afterwards, we just had some uh, lower extremity ankle foot orthoses tested mm -hmm. cyclically, and they lasted over a million cycles. So that's ah, at, perfect. at least one year of someone walking on it. Um, you know, the test was stopped after that for some internal purposes. But, um, you know, these are pretty, pretty robust devices that are, you know, meant for long term use. So there's no, no reason why we shouldn't be testing these out. Um, you know, the polypropylene is grindable too. So, I mean, that's a yep, grindable, grindable so. too. So if you need to make some edits, you could do it. It is a little gummy, I'll say. So now, like, like light pressure when you're, when yeah, you're yeah, yeah. grinding, but, um, you know, that's, it's an easy thing. It's also still heat formable, you know, a typical polypropylene still heat formable. Um, if you needed to make some small corrections, you could, um, and their polypropylene is one of the only ones that I've seen that comes in like 12 different colors. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah, the, I've, yeah, I've really seen a couple of ones you do in the orange and the purple. So yeah, definitely neat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I wanted to just kind of throw something out there for our listeners here who listened all the way to the end. Um, if you come to Brian or I, um, before the end of July here, and mention the code FOAMFLEXFO. Uh, you'll receive from Ascent Fab a free pair of either accommodative uh, VariaShore foot orthotics or a polypropylene uh, pair as well. So we'll go, go through the design process for you using that code FOAMFLEXFO and uh, come to us for your, uh, your foot orthotics for design and printing. So Thanks again, Brian, for coming on um, and uh, giving us this insight to the printed foot. Really cool software that's very usable, and I'm, I'm looking forward to using it more. So thank you for coming on. All right. Good talking with you, Joe, and uh, I look forward to passing on that uh, savings to anyone who asks. So <laughs> that's Absolutely. a pretty good offer. You know, get a good pair of orthotics. So sounds good. Well, happy Fabrication Friday, everyone. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. 